All right. Well, why don't you turn with me to Genesis chapter 42. Genesis 42. And the title is, All Things Are Working For You. Now that kind of takes what Jacob says here in this chapter. And he says, all these things are against me. And we just flip it on its head and says, no, all things are working for you. And indeed they were for Jacob. He just can't see it at this point. But it will become evident in no time at all. So we move into chapter 42. It seems to be around eight or nine years um, that Joseph has been the governor over Egypt. So we knew there was going to be a land. There would be plenty for seven years. Um, and then the famine was going to hit and be rough seven years. So somewhere around year eight or nine. So he's been this governor. He's been out of jail. He's been implementing the plan to collect the grain with the tax and build it and store it in the cities. Um, and exactly as the Lord had prophesied to uh, Pharaoh in his dreams and interpreted by Joseph, it is coming to pass. And so th- his brothers are going to come down and they're going to have to go and find some grain in Egypt. And he's going to test his brothers to see what's really in their heart. Have they really changed? What are they up to? And we're going to see, unlike Jacob was able to at this point, that things are not against us. The Lord is for us. And he withholds no good thing from those that walk up rightly. And then we're going to be reminded in a negative sense of how wonderful it is to be cleansed and to be uh, made free from our past mistakes. These brothers are going to come down here and uh, meet, uh, and you're going to just see the guilt that they live in. All these years later, maybe some 15 years after they sold their brother into slavery, they're still walking in the guilt and the shame of that. And the good news is there's freedom and deliverance in Jesus. So these are some of the things we're going to look at this morning. But let's begin at verses 1 through 5. And we see that they head to Egypt for grain. When Jacob saw that there was grain in Egypt, Jacob said to his sons, Why do you look at one another? And he said, Indeed, I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. So Go down to that place and buy for us that we may live and not die. So Joseph's ten brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt. But Jacob did not send Joseph's brother Benjamin with his brothers. For he said, lest some calamity befall him. And the sons of Israel went to buy grain among those who journeyed for the famine and the land was in Canaan. So a few things here. Benjamin is Joseph's full brother. Remember, Jacob has Rachel, the woman that he wanted to marry. Um, He woke up that first wedding uh, morning to find out that he had actually married Leah and had been deceived. And then so a week later, he marries Rachel. And then also they have handmaidens. And all four of these women end up being the ones through whom the 12 tribes come from. So Uh, In this case, Joseph and uh, Benjamin were Rachel's sons. And as far as Jacob knows, uh, Joseph is dead. So he only has one child remaining from the woman that really had the first place in his heart that he loved. And they thought he was marrying. And so he's very protective of this child, uh, Benjamin. And, um, you, you know, you pick up something there. In verse 4, at the end, he says, Benjamin's not coming with you, lest some calamity befall him. That's all we have. But if I was to interpret tone, it would be like, yeah, I'm not sending Benjamin with you guys because who knows what happens 
when you guys are alone with Rachel's children. Not going to give it a chance. And he doesn't come out and say, you killed Joseph and you would probably do this. But you just, it's like, knowing what we know, you wonder, is Jacob on to them? Is he understanding? He certainly knows that these guys are rough guys. He remembers what they did in Shechem. He remembers what Judah has done. He understands these are not the, the finest men around. And he's like, yeah, you're not taking my youngest son with you. You're out of your mind. You can die, but I'm not sending him with you. And so they, they journey down. They head down. And um, this was a life or death event at the end of verse 2. He says, go get it or we're going to die. So this is a famine that's not just localized to Egypt, but it's spreading throughout this entire region. And it is being felt there. The word has spread that you can go and you can get grain in Egypt. And so he sends his sons in that direction. Verse 6, and Joseph's dream is fulfilled. The brothers make their way down. And it says, now Joseph was governor over the land. And it was he who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed down before him with their faces to the earth. Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them, but he acted as a stranger to them and spoke roughly to them. Then he said to them, where do you come from? And they said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. So Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. Then Joseph remembered the dreams which he had dreamed about them and said to them, you are spies. You have come to see the nakedness of the land. So all foreigners had to meet with Joseph in order to get the grain. Um, and the response that Joseph has is not warm. It's not, oh, it's so good to see you guys. He, he's kind of thrown. I mean, he was not expecting that this would come. And yet it's exactly what is taking place. And he is going to test them over these next couple of chapters. And he's going to want to say, Are they, do you have right motives? Are you still out to kill you know, the descendants of Rachel? What is it that you are really up to? And so he's going to seek to discern their true motives. But we read here in verse 9, Then Joseph remembered the dreams which he had dreamed about them. So he had two dreams specifically. And in these dreams, uh, the first one, the sheaves of wheat of his brother's, bowed down to his sheaf of wheat that was standing, right? And so it bowed down. And, and he told it to them. They're like, you're like out of your mind, kid. There's no way we will ever bow down to you. You're full of pride. And, and this just became one more reason why they disliked him. And then he, had, of course, had another dream, the sun and the moon and the stars that they also bowed. And, he's, and his daddy rebuked him. He said, what are you talking about? Well, these were prophetic dreams that were given to him by God. These are not just the um, over, you know, uh, active imagination of a teenager that has been coddled by mom and dad. I mean, th these are prophetic words of the Lord that are coming to him. And when he presents it, nobody discerns it. Nobody identifies it. He's just rebuked for it. And yet here we are at this moment. He sees his brothers walk in and they bow down before him. And immediately he's taken back to that dream. And he's like, here it is. What a moment this must have been for him to process all of these things. Now, he recognizes them, but they don't recognize him, do they? Do you know why they don't recognize him? Because he walks like 
an Egyptian, and he talks like an Egyptian. That's true. It's true. It's very corny, but it's very true. If you don't know what that's all about, you'll figure it out later. Just figure it out. But they don't recognize him, and so he's able, their heads are to the ground. They're intimidated. He's speaking roughly. He's keeping the emotional edge, if you will, over these guys. And, and yet, here it happens. It unfolds. Can you imagine all the emotions that must have flooded into his heart and mind all at once? On, one, on the one hand, it's like, oh, this is good. My brothers. Oh, this is bad. It's my brothers. Wait a minute. This dream's coming true. That was a word from the Lord. And all of these things go running through his mind and his heart. And we know that he gets emotional over all this, and he begins to speak roughly with them. But a, point, a verse that we've looked at many times as we've gone through Genesis that spends so much time looking at the promises of God to the people of God, and that how even when everything is stacked against him, God still comes through, is found in Hebrews 6.12, and I want to read it to you again. It says, you, that you Do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. How do we inherit the promises of God? Through faith and patience. We believe God, faith, that what he said is going to come to pass, but also we wait for it. We wait for the Lord to fulfill what he has said he's going to do. It's through faith and patience that we inherit the promises of God. One day, we're going to either go to be with the Lord or he will return for that generation of the church that is alive. And the promises of eternal life will be realized. Looking upon him will be realized. Knowing, even as we are known, will be realized. We will no longer be looking in a mirror dimly, but then face to face, looking at Jesus and the promises. There's going to be that moment for us in heaven. It's like, boom, here, this is it. Right now, this is happening. Pinch me. Is this for real? And it's going to be the most real thing that has ever happened in our life. And we're going to think of all the promises that we walked through and that we waited, through the highs and through the lows, through the good times and the bad times. But it's through faith and patience. And I encourage you to have patience and believe God. Trust Him that He's going to fulfill what He said He's going to do. And it's like, well, how's God going to work in this situation? You don't, know, you don't have to know that, and I don't have to know that, to understand who our God is. Because he's already revealed himself to us, right? We already know that he's faithful. We already know that he's true. We already know that he can speak to our lives and call us into certain circumstances and situations. And we know that it's the right thing because we've experienced him. And that's who our God is through faith and patience. And I would encourage you, if you're feeling sluggish in your faith, or you feel like you're throwing in the towel, I just want to ask you, what do you get in return for that? If you throw in the towel on the Lord because, you know, you're just tired of waiting, what do you get when you throw in the towel? Does, does life become easy now? No more trials, no more tribulations, because that is only for the people that follow Jesus? Everybody has rain over their head at one point or another, right? Dark things, dark clouds come, family, relationships, health, businesses, things go on. Now listen, we are blessed of the Lord 
because he's walking with us through these things. When a person says, I'm not going to have any more patience and I'm throwing in the towel, I'm done with walking with the Lord. Well, all, you're not done with trials. You're just done with the help of the Lord in your trials. And that's not a good place to be. The Lord loves you and he's going to see you through. But you and Troy must have faith and I must have patience. I must wait. This is a similar statement is made in James chapter 1 verses 2 through 4. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect, complete, lacking nothing. Now, if you were to try and sell the last two phrases, right? If you were to try and sell, do you want to be perfect? Do you want to be complete? Do you want to lack nothing? Everybody would raise their hand and say yes. But how do you get there? It's through those trials that we walk through and we see God at work in our life. And he produces patience in us. And as that happens, we become mature men and women of God. Listen, the exhortation is, Count it all joy. The word count is an accounting term. And it means calculate it, add it up, do the math, figure it out. And only let joy, pure joy, be the attitude that is in your heart and your mind. Don't allow the mixture of some other attitude to come in. Of despair, or anger, or frustration, or irritation. Count it pure joy, all joy. That's the exhortation that we are to have. Now listen, we all know this. When that happens, the joy is there if we're willing to receive it and walk in it. But we sometimes just don't want the joy. It's like joy. I'm not going to. I refuse to have joy while these things are going on. When these things change, then I'll have joy. But the Lord calls us to be a people of faith that have joy while it's still going on. Why? Because we know who is with us in the trials. We know that he is faithful. We know that he's going to take us to the other side. Joseph is a, as we've said at the very beginning of this kind of Joseph cycle in Genesis, we said that Joseph is a one that typifies uh, Jesus' life in many different ways. Um, and so I read, I haven't gone through each of them, I haven't made my own list, but one Author has said there's a hundred different ways in which Joseph is like Jesus, how his life prefigures. Well, here's one you could put on the list is that just as Joseph was rejected by his brothers, so Jesus was rejected by his brothers. They rejected Joseph, and yet he was there to save them. They rejected Jesus, and he was there to save them. And so we have this beautiful picture of of the Lord and all that he would do for us, painted in the Old Testament in many different ways. Isaiah 53 verses 2 and 3 says, For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness, and when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. Here it is. He is despised and rejected by men, just like Joseph. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. And that is what happened to the Lord. Israel rejected him. But it, was it just Israel? I mean, it actually even began with his own household, right? His brothers thought he was crazy. And then his countrymen thought he was crazy. And then the world leaders thought he was crazy, and he was rejected by the entire world. 
And yet he is the Savior. These guys had rejected Joseph, and he was their physical Savior. He was the one. Now, this is significant. Why is this story even in the Bible? Because in saving the nation of Israel, we now have the Messiah who descends through the line of Judah, and we and the rest of the world have the hope of salvation. And this is why this story is in here. This is why it's so significant. I mean, it's a great reading and an account of, of drama and heartache and hardship and faith and forgiveness and reconciliation. But it is there first and foremost because it is through the seed of the woman that the deliverer is going to come. And it's this family. And if what Jacob said is true is that we're going to die unless we get grain, then we see how significant it is. Because if this family died off, there would be no Savior. There would be no Redeemer. And of course, that is not possible that it would happen because God said he would send a deliverer. So, yeah, we have these moments where we find ourselves in hardships and difficulties and trials. And I don't know what yours are. You're, you're acquainted. You know exactly what your trials are. I just want you to know that your God is with you. And he's not going to leave you, and he's not going to forsake you. It, it, knowing that doesn't mean that the trials suddenly are easy and they're enjoyable. It, it doesn't mean that, but it just means that we're going to come at these with faith. And I'm going to come at these with patience, and I'm going to embrace my God in the midst of the trial. I'm going to say, even you, or you can work even in these trials, and I believe it, and I trust you, and I'm going to walk by faith. I'm going to have patience. I'm not going to give up. Again, I just would say to you, if it is even, I hope it's in nobody's mind, but if it's even in your mind in the first forming thought of, I don't know if I want to continue to follow Jesus, well, what are you going to get? What are you going to go find that's going to give you life during life, that's going to give you, you know, his presence through the trials and is going to give you the hope of eternal life? This is deception that's at work in your heart and your mind. Deal with it. And trust in the Lord. Let's keep on reading uh, still there in chapter 42. We'll again read uh, verse 9, take it down to verse 28, where we see Joseph test his brothers. Then Joseph remembered the dreams which he had dreamed about them and said to them, You are spies. You have come to see the nakedness of the land. And they said to him, No, my Lord, but your servants have come to buy food. We are all one man's sons. We are honest men. Yeah. Honest men. Your servants are not spies. But he said to them, No, but you have come to see the nakedness of the land. You've come to see how vulnerable we are. And they said, Your servants are twelve brothers, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And in fact, the youngest is with our father today, and one is no more. But Joseph said to them, it is as I spoke to you, saying, you are spies. In this manner you shall be tested. By the life of Pharaoh, you shall not leave this place unless your youngest brother comes here. <clears throat> Verse 16, send one of you and let him bring your brother, that you, may, and you shall be kept in prison, that your words may be tested to see whether there is any truth in you, or else by the life of Pharaoh, surely you are spies." So he put them all together in the prison three days. Then Joseph said to them the third day, Do this and live, for I fear God. If you are honest men, 
Let one of the brothers, again, if you could put tone in there. If you're honest, men, yeah, I don't think you're honest. But if you are, let your brothers be confined to your prison house, but go and carry grain for the famine of your houses. And bring your youngest brother to me, so your words will be verified, and you shall not die. And they did so. Then they said to one another, We are guilty of concerning our brother, for we saw the anguish of his soul when he pleaded with us, and we would not hear. Therefore the distress has come upon us. And Reuben answered and said, I told you so. (laughs) Right? You always have that person around. Did I not speak to you saying, do not sin against the boy? And you would not listen. Therefore, behold, his blood is now required of us. But they did not know that Joseph understood them. For he spoke to them through an interpreter. And he turned himself away from them and wept. Then he returned to them again and talked with them. And he took Simeon from them and bound him before their eyes. Then Joseph gave a command to fill their sacks with grain, to restore every man's money to his sack, and to give them provision for the journey. Thus he did for them. So they loaded their donkeys with the grain and departed from there. But as one of them opened his sack to give his donkey feed at the encampment, he saw his money. And there it was in the mouth of his sack. So he said to his brothers, My money has been restored And there it is in my sack. Then their hearts failed them, and they were afraid, saying to one another, What is this that God has done to us? So a couple of things before we get to the guilty conscience of these guys. He's hiding his identity, and he's accusing them of being spies. Multiple times. Why is he doing this? Why does he put the money in the sack? Why is he asking them to bring Benjamin? Because he's testing them. He wants to see, are these the same guys that without a question beat me up, threw me in a pit, and sold me for 20 pieces of silver? So what was it that caused them to dislike Joseph? Well, it was the father's favoritism. It was his dreams. But another thing that they didn't like was that uh, his father, Jacob, would often send Joseph to go and check on his brothers and see how they're doing. Now, for Jacob, that's just good business sense. For Joseph, that's just being obedient to his father. But for the ten brothers, they looked at Joseph as, what do you think? What do you think they would have called him? A spy. He's coming to spy on us. And so now here they come down into his territory, and it seems like he's just saying, oh, okay, you guys are spies. How does that feel now? I don't know that, you know, it's hard to know exactly. I mean, people will say Joseph is not behaving properly here. He is behaving properly. I don't know. I've got a question mark. Um, We know how the story ends. I think he's right to test them. Um, Does he have impure motives? Um, Well, listen, there's a lot of damage he could have done to these guys in a second, and nobody would have ever questioned it. And so I think he's showing, uh, could have he shown grace? More grace? Could have he shown it in a more generous way? Probably. Um, Does it mean that he is out of control? He's definitely not out of control. He is testing them to see what's going on. So they go back and there's money that is in the mouth of one of these sacks. Now as we finish up reading this chapter in just a moment, we're going to find out that it was in all of their sacks. 
all of their sacks had the money that they used to buy the grain with was all put back in there. Why? Well, what was it that they sold Joseph, uh, Joseph for? Money. 20 pieces of silver. So you care more about money than you care about a brother. So you got a brother down here named Simeon. Not Reuben. He heard that Reuben tried to stop it. So second oldest brother, who would have been responsible when oldest brother was gone, Simeon is the one that is bound. And he's being held. And he's like, okay, let's see how you feel about brothers now. Let's see if you're going to come back and release him. Or did you get money and now you're good? And you can spend the rest of your lives up in your own homeland because you have money. Because you sold me for 20 pieces of silver and you didn't ever come for me. So it seems to me that this is just a test of the very things that they had done. <clears throat> he was putting it back on them to try and discern exactly where their hearts were. And these guys are living with a guilty conscience. No fun. It is no fun. It is unpleasant. It will ruin your life. It can destroy your life. It can rob any joy. It can rob you of any kind of peace to live with a guilty conscience. conscience where you're, you're always wondering, when is this going to come out? And I know I need to make this right. And if dad ever finds out what we did to Joseph, because there's no evidence that they ever acknowledge this to their dad. They're going to. They're going to have to acknowledge this to dad eventually because Joseph is alive. And they're going to have to explain the whole story because they have told him and deceived him into thinking that Joseph is dead and eaten by a wild beast. They knew that was a lie. So these honest guys are dealing with a guilty conscience. Right? There is what is going on. And this is a terrible place to, to be. Now, we're going to see in a couple of chapters that Joseph is going to release them. He's going to set them free. And he's going to say, don't worry about it. We're not there yet, though. He's still testing their hearts to see what's going on. But here's the good news for you today. Here's the good news for me. I don't have to wait a couple of chapters to be set free. If you are here today and you are still plagued with the things that you've done in the past and you've never repented and you've never confessed them before the Lord, you can do that today. You can speak to the Lord about your failure and he will forgive you. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now these guys didn't have this verse, did they? We have the full story. We have the full plan of redemption laid out in front of us in Jesus Christ. That he hung and died upon the cross. And he died there because our sin was placed upon him. Oh, the dirty white lies, the little thing here or there, not so truthful here. But also all of the dirty, disgusting things that man has ever dreamed up, woman has ever dreamed up and has done. Jesus hung on the cross for those things. So the good news is this, is that you can be set free from that shame and from that guilt in Jesus Christ. If you confess, if we confess our sins, confess does not mean simply to acknowledge that it happened. Confess means to agree with God. Do you agree with God about your sin or about that thing that's plaguing you, that has separated you from the Lord? It's like, well, it was just well, it kind of was, a, it was an indiscretion. Well, the Bible calls, calls sin great wickedness, not indiscretion. And we say these things to kind of smooth it over and kind of, you know, make it not sound as bad. But if we come and we confess our sins, he is faithful and he is just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from 
all unrighteousness, not most, but all unrighteousness. But our conscience, our mind, our heart, the enemy, people will say, you know what? Yeah, you're forgiven, but you're not completely forgiven. You're mostly forgiven. You're mostly okay, but you're not completely okay. And our own minds can be the worst accuser of those things. But do you know what the enemy is saying about Jesus on the cross when that statement comes into our mind or what we are saying or maybe what somebody else is saying about Jesus on the cross when they're beginning to tell you you really can't be forgiven, God can't really accept you, your shame and guilt will be with you the rest of your life, you'll never get over this. What they're saying is Jesus actually didn't get enough blows to his back with the scourge. The, the spikes that went through his, his hands and went through his feet, they weren't sharp enough. The spear into his side didn't go deep enough. And the crown of thorns on his head, there wasn't enough of them. He needs to be beaten up just a little bit more. As, but of course, we're not going to do that to Jesus, so we're just going to do it to you. And you beat yourself up. And the enemy makes you feel condemned, not understanding the good work of Christ on the cross. Or maybe even somebody else is there to never let you up. They hold you pinned to that spiritual mat of, of failure and sin and shame, and they never are willing to let you up. By the way, if you're that person, let them up today. Let them up. Go to them and let them know, I'm wrong. You might have done something wrong, and you've asked for forgiveness, but I've done something wrong as well. I have not forgiven you. I have not let you enjoy life. I've, I've kept you in that place of shame. I've made certain that you always feel just a little bit guilty. And I'm done with it. I want you to walk in freedom. I want you to walk in joy. I want you to know that Christ has cleansed you of all unrighteousness. We need to speak this to one another. That, me speaking it doesn't make it true. It is true. <laughs> but I got to speak it to people, you need to say it to me. I need to say it to you. We need to say it to each other. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So whatever that thing is that play has plagued you and you've never been able to get over and it continues to dog you and haunt you and mock you and tease you and make you feel unworthy, today, why don't you let it, let it be done with? Why don't you acknowledge that Jesus did suffer enough on the cross to cover even your sin? That it's good. That it's sufficient. That it's complete. And you can enter into a relationship. It's a terrible way to live your life like these guys were living. You know, this is the only place. But in my mind, I think, man, I bet every time something bad happened, they thought, I know why this is happening. Joseph. Joseph. Because it just comes right to the surface. Now, there's a lot of things going on. They're in Egypt, right, where they sold him. They don't know where he is. They don't know if he's alive. So, I mean, it's, it's understandable that they would think about him. A brother is going to be kept behind, you know, all these things. So you can understand why he, they would be thinking about Joseph. But I imagine their whole life it was like boom, 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 every time something went wrong. A miserable way to live your life. And you don't have to live your life that way. You can come to Jesus Christ and you can confess your sins and he will cleanse you. Now you still got to deal with your relationships with people. And some will forgive you and some will not. That's just, that's just the way it is. Some will be gracious to you and some will continue to rip at you every chance, every chance they get. 
but you are in Christ Jesus. And you've got to walk in that forgiveness. And you've got to walk in that grace. So Joseph holds Simeon in jail. He gives him the money. And they head on the journey back home. They find this, this money. Let's finish the chapter up here. Verse 29 down to verse 38. Then they went to Jacob their father in the land of Canaan and told him all that had happened to them, saying, The man who is lord of the land spoke roughly to us and took us for spies of the country. But we said to him, We are honest men. We are not spies. We are twelve brothers, sons of our father. One is no more, and the youngest is with our father this day in the land of Canaan. Then the man, uh, the lord of the country, said to us, By this I will know that you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers here with me. Take food for the famine of your households and be gone. And bring your youngest brother to me. So I shall know that you are not spies, but that you are honest men. I will grant your brother to you that you may trade in the land. Verse 35, then it happened as they emptied their sacks that surprisingly each man's bundle of money was in his sack. And when they and their father saw the bundles of money, they were afraid. And Jacob, their father, said to them, You have bereaved me. Joseph is no more. Simeon is no more. And you want to take Benjamin? All these things are against me. Were they? Is that a true statement? Actually, every one of these things was working for his favor. Verse 37, Then Reuben spoke to his father, saying, Kill my two sons if I do not bring them back to you. I'm sure that was a lot of comfort to Grandpa. Yes, thank you for that, Reuben. You are so insightful. That's exactly what I would want to do. <laughs> Put him in my hands, and I will bring him back to you. But he said to him, what Reuben is saying is like, I'll get it done. I mean, that's what he's saying. I'll, you can count on me. I'm going to get this done. But he said, my son shall not go down with you. For his brother is dead, and he is left alone. If calamity should befall him along the way in which you go, then you would bring down my gray hair with sorrow to the grave. Jacob is overwhelmed. It's, you can understand it, humanly speaking. He's dealing with information as it comes. But God did speak to him, didn't he? God did tell him that, in a way, your son's going to be okay. But it came at the moment just before he rebuked his son for sharing a dream that said you're going to bow down and the brothers are going to bow down. The Lord has already told Jacob he's going to be okay through the dreams of Joseph. These are prophetic words. This is a patriarch. This is a man of God. He should have discerned this. He should have sought the face of the Lord and say, what do these dreams mean? But we have no record that he does this. So the Lord has already given him the promise that you're going to see your son, because Jacob had never bowed down before him, but the day is going to come. And so he, though, says, all of these things are against me. No, all of them are for you. The Lord withholds no good thing from those that walk uprightly. The Lord isn't withholding good from your life. There might be trials, and there might be hardships, and there might be difficulties, but God is at work. And just because you can't see how it's all going to work out does not mean that it's not for your good. Romans 8, 28, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. So you have a promise that God is working in your life, in my life, in your family to bring about good. 
And he will bring it about in his own timing. And so, again, 2 Corinthians 5, 7, For we walk by faith, not by sight. You must have faith and trust in the Lord that he's going to bring it to pass and that it's going to be a good outcome. Corrie Tim Boone was a woman that was imprisoned in a Nazi concentration camp for hiding Jews during uh, the Holocaust. And the family was found and they were thrown into a concentration, I think it was Ravensbrück uh, camp, and there was a terrible place, as we all know. These places were terrible, and they suffered. But in this place of suffering, something began to happen. And she writes of it, and it was that the, the lice just began to get really bad. And there was, it was not uncommon for these infestations to take place. But in her barracks, it was worse than anywhere else in camp. And she writes of it. And she speaks of how this ended up being the kindness of the Lord because it kept the soldiers out and allowed them to have Bible study and prayer time uninterrupted as much as they wanted. And she began to thank the Lord for this. You see, we look at things and it's like, well, this is terrible. But wait a minute. God's working. God's moving. The worst thing that ever happened on planet Earth was is that God sent his only son, and we crucified him. And yet, that brings more good and more grace than any other event. And all events combined together don't even come close. So this is a matter of faith for you today. It's a matter of faith for me to trust in the Lord that not all of these things are against me. Listen, hard things happen. People do mean things. People sin. Yes, we got a story right in front of us. We have our own lives that tell us this. But our God is still working. Our God is still moving. And we must be people of faith. That even though it took some 15 years for that dream to be fulfilled, it was fulfilled. And God worked and God moved. So as we wrap this up and get ready to take communion, can you trust God that he is sovereignly in control over the affairs of your life? And that he's working to bring some good about through it. It may be unfortunate. It may be a trial. And it seems maybe like decades. But trust in the Lord. Because at the very least when we get to heaven. We will see the genius and the wisdom and the work of God. The work of God that he's done. You know Jacob is going to be able to see the whole thing laid out in front of him. But Job didn't see the whole thing laid out in front of him, did he? So we don't, we don't always see all that God's doing. But if you're a servant of the Lord, and God is concerned about his glory, and he's causing all things to work together for good, then stand back and just trust the Lord and say, I don't see how and I don't see what you're doing, but I trust that when I get to heaven, it will all make sense. In the meantime, Lord, get as much glory as you can through these circumstances. This is how we are to deal with it. Rejoice in the trials because God is at work. He's not abandoned you. Let the trial do its work in your life and let's make certain that we don't walk in the guilt and shame of those things that are covered under the blood of Jesus any longer and let's make certain that we're not keeping people under it. And maybe there is somebody you need to write or call or speak to, you know, face to face and just say, I just want to remind you that you're forgiven and I don't hold anything against you. Or maybe it's got to sound a little different. Maybe you have 
and you've been unwilling. You've never been willing to let them forgive or forget that. And I pray the Lord will speak to you and that you will go and you will release that person from that guilt and that shame because Jesus has done it for you and he's done it for me. And we're not going to have these things thrown in our face when we get in heaven. He's just going to welcome us in. And it's going to be grace. And this is how we are to walk with each other. Father, we thank you for that grace and that mercy that you've shown to us. And as we're watching this story unfold of men that are not honest, that have done wicked things, and watching a man respond, what do we see the the beauty and the wisdom of what you're doing in this account. Just as we see the greater beauty and wisdom of how you have sent your son, a man rejected and despised, and yet we find salvation in him. We thank you, Lord, for that. Lord, give us faith. Give us patience. May we begin to walk in joy, even though there's trials all around us.